Museum of the Moving Image welcomes you to the Pinewood Dialogues Online, an archive of conversations with innovative creative figures in film, television, and digital media. Visit Museum of the Moving Image in New York City or online at www.movingimage.us. Now it's time to uh, meet Stanley's friends and to meet Stanley. So um, I'll introduce them one at a time. First, we'll start with a man who has turned cooking into his own form of art and performance, multi-talented artist who runs a dozen great restaurants, including Esco, which is right around the corner, um, but it's fully booked for tonight, I checked. Um, he's written half a dozen books. Um, I told him, whatever you do, don't dress like gay Talese tonight. Wear something different. Um, and here he is, Mario Batali. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, the actress who has worked with Stanley more than anybody else, um, has done more movies with him, is our next guest. Um, like Stanley, she has moved between independent films and mainstream movies, uh, movies like The Day Trippers to About Schmidt. Um, her movies with Stanley um, are The Imposters, um, Joe Gould's Secret, um, Kiss of Death, uh, The Day Trippers, and um, The Hoax. And very pleased she's with us tonight. Please welcome Hope Davis. Thanks. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. It didn't always used to be that great actors were also great directors. Um, but here is somebody else who, like Stanley, can really do it all. Um, you know his many, many great film roles, um, and he's a great filmmaker in his own right. And he is also now Stanley's business partner. They started a um, production company um, called Olive Productions, and we can't wait to see what they produce. Uh, but please welcome Steve Buscemi. Natasha Richardson is one of our great um, stage and screen actors. You know her uh, many, many films from Patty Hearst, um, The Handmaid's Tale, Asylum. Um, last year she had the movie Evening. Um, but if, you're, if you go to the theater a lot, you also know her incredible stage work on Broadway. Her amazing roles include Anna Christie, and her Tony Award-winning role in Cabaret. Um, and she was in recently in Streetcar Named Desire, as, of course, Blanche Dubois. Um, and um, Shelley said at the beginning we had a, a, a great cook here. We actually have two great cooks because Natasha Richardson is a serious cook. And um, she is here tonight, so please welcome her. Can we make one correction? Yes. This is a chef. Some of us are cooked. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Gay Talese, um, now who um, very pleased, um, agreed to moderate the program tonight, the dapper, elegant, great writer and observer himself, worked for many years at the New York Times in the old building um, on 43rd Street, uh, and among his many great books are The Kingdom and the Power, which is about the New York Times, uh, but of course his other titles include Honor Thy Father, The Neighbor's Wife, The Bridge, recently released um, A Writer's Life, and there's actually a great biography 
uh, about Gay Talese on his website, which of course is gaytalese.com. Um, so you can look at that for more, but um, I'm really pleased that he's with us tonight. Please welcome Gay Talese. And here he is, and I can tell you his wife is a great cook, um, and he is the man, Stanley Tucci. Thank you, thank you. Stan. Thank you. Is it over yet? It's just... I have the honor of asking the first question, a question that I hope might also be answered by the other distinguished people that are before you tonight. But it is a question that many of you in this audience might share. And that is, when does an actor, when does an actor believe he or she is truly a professional actor? I mean, we've seen the accomplishments and the versatility of Stanley, for example, and we could just as well, the other people here, But when they are young, do they think they're actors? Are they actors when they are out of work? I read uh, something about Stanley, I think it was in the New York Times, where he told this reporter in the middle 1990s, I believe, that there were times for months he didn't have work and he used to spend some of his free time pondering his life and looking at great art at the Museum of Modern History. And so I would like to ask perhaps Stanley first and others if they wish, when do these people recognize themselves as professional actors as opposed to aspiring actors? And just parenthetically, you might want to, Mario, also answer this because you're an actor. And working in all these restaurants are waiters who are not waiters, but in their heads are actors between roles. (laughs) And so it is, you know, well, Stanley, tell us, when did you think you were going to be succeeding as an actor? Were you 11? Were you 20? Were you, how old were you? Well, no, I'm still waiting for it. (laughs) After 50 parts. I'm not kidding. I don't think it ever changes. I think that there's always an... I think every actor can attest to this, you know, that you, you, you always feel that, um, you, you know, the, or the business makes you feel, let's say, that you're only as good as your next job, as your last job, as your next job. Right. Uh, 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 and uh, and you're, always, uh, you're always searching. And one of the reasons you're always searching is because the business is ever-changing. Uh, and you're ever-changing. So I think... Probably for me, the last year has been maybe for the first time I've found some some kind of comfort in the fact that I will keep working. But there is no doubt that I always, when I finish a job, uh, imagine that it's going to take a long time to get another job. I'm, I'm remembering the first day that I met Stanley, which was on the set of The Day Trippers about 15 years ago. Do you remember that? Uh-huh. We were standing there in our underwear yes. to do our first, our love scene as a couple. Right. And that was comfortable. That was funny. <laughs> we, we, we laughed a lot. But I remember, 
I met you and we started to chat and you went into a tirade. You said, I can't get arrested. I, 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 I'll never make it. I, 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 I don't have any money. I, I, I don't have anything to do. I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I'll never, never work. Do you remember this? No, do you have any I, recollection? No, I don't really remember that, but I say that every week, so I don't, you know. <laughs> I've, yeah. I'm sure you I did say that. scared the life yeah. out of did me. Did I? I, was just, yeah. well, I wasn't worried about your career. No. I was worried about mine. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, it causes great anxiety. I think I was also I was trying to get Big Night off the ground, right. t- too. And, uh, and it didn't help, of course, that that day that we shot, the camera was stolen. The camera was off stolen the, on our first day of shooting. And so there was no camera. There was no and camera, I've so always, we just talked right, for hours. I found it very hard to make a movie without a camera. Yes. <laughs> But it was found eventually, and the yes. movie was made. Yes. yes. But I think that anxiety exists perpetually. Natasha, do you feel anxious? Well, I, I, I feel that ever? this is a, is a f- completely two-part question. Mm-hmm. The first part is, when did you, did you feel that you were a professional actor? Well, first time I felt I was a professional actress, which I am, by the way. Um, there's nothing wrong with the feminization of a I word. I'm an actress, not an actor. And the first time I felt I was an actress was when I got my first job and somebody was going to pay me to act. And I felt, my God, I'm a professional actor as opposed to an amateur. Um, Like when my only other job was working as a waitress in a Caribbean restaurant, I got my first money in my hand. I thought, my God, that's the first money I've made. So that was when I felt I'm a professional actress, but a feeling of, whoa, I've landed. Yeah. Yeah. Success. I'm okay now. Um, I don't know. I think we'd all agree that that never happens. And maybe just as you do think, oh, mm. maybe everything's all right. Everything is, ooh. Mm. And it's all cyclical and so up and down. And that's one of the hardest things about it, to stay with it and um, ride those rapids. When were you recognizing yourself as an actor? How old were you? Um... I guess I was in my late 20s, and it was when I saw my name in the TV guide. I did a, a Miami Vice. He did and, what? Uh, he did a Miami Vice. <laughs> that felt real. That felt like... And, uh, I saw that episode. <laughs> <laughs> that was, it was great. Yeah. But it was a way for, like, friends of mine who, you know, because I had been doing theater, you know, before that, and, and, and low-budget movies... Um, but when that was in the TV guide, it was a way for my family and my friends to think, hey, I saw, you know, I don't even know if they watched the show, but hey, I saw you in the TV guide. You're like, so, so you're not kidding. You are an actor. I go, yeah. But it's true. Every time, every time a job ends, and my, my dad has stopped doing this, but he used to say, so, you're unemployed now. And, and I would say, always stay on, I'm in between films, right? Or you know. even worse, you're resting. Resting? I mean, what, you think I'm at home, like, doing this between jobs? So. I know. Stanley, you don't rest very much, though, no. these days. I mean, you no, don't, I don't want to you, rest. You're not a restful person. No, though. I never have been a restful no. person. No. Uh, no. No. Resting is overrated. Resting is overrated, <laughs> yes. As you can attest to. Do you ever rest? I'm resting right now. You are. <laughs> You just fell asleep for a minute, exactly. didn't you? I have the ability to fall asleep at the drop of a hat in a long <laughs> elevator ride. Did you ever fantasize about being an actor? Or an actress? <laughs> That's a very good question. I would say yes to both of them. 
But my field is a little different, and although in the last 20 years it's changed when I started in this field, cooking was the thing you did when you got out of the military right before you went to jail. <laughs> and and the, only, the only solace in actually becoming a cook is that once you become a pretty good cook, there's always a job for you. And it's not necessarily that feeling of freelance, because I know a lot of people who are freelance in the cooking business or freelance photographers, or, and they don't have it like I have it, where I know where my paycheck is next May, provided all the restaurants don't burn down. So I have that comfort of knowing that there's something always backing me up that I've spent a lot of time building, while all the actors build something and build something. And as, as, as in the same sense that you're really, as a good cook, only as good as your last lasagna, you, you have the right to choose all the ingredients in your lasagna. When you're only as good as your last role, there may have been other reasons that you took that role or that it fell apart because you weren't the director or the writer of that role. And there's a little bit less control of the situation, which can result in something spectacular happening. But sometimes the other side of that happens. Yeah. So we keep cooking and keep building and doing the things. And that kind of gives us a little inertia. Mario, confess. Did you ever, ever fire waiter or waiters because they aspired to be actors and they were waiting for the phone call? Never. And I'll tell you why. Because in our field, there are a lot of people who pretend to be career waiters and are not good. And I would rather have someone who had outer interest besides the greatness of our food and service. Because it makes them a better person. And that makes them a more interesting person to interact with when I'm asking you about a wine or your suggestion or where to go after dinner. And that's what makes a good restaurant even better when people are not just obsessed with the moment but with life in general. What would you say your percentage of actor waiters how many of them are professionals? And well, some of them are more committed and would actually say, listen, I need to take off a ship because I'm going to go do a trial or something like that. I would say more than 50% in wow. New York. And wow. of that 50%, maybe some of them are performance artists <laughs> and or strippers. I mean, you know, there's a lot of roles out there to be played. You're a performance artist. Yes. On television, you seem to be very like the thespian that dwells within yes. many of us. And you well, actually, but you do something in your, I have to say that, I don't know who I, if I said, I didn't say this to you on the phone, someone the other day, that you do something that every actor aspires to. <clears throat> and I remember, you know, when, when I was in, in school, when I was living with David, and uh, uh, oh, sweet David. it was so great. Uh, we went, uh, you, uh, you know, when you're learning to, when you're first sort of up on stage and you're learning how to handle props and say your lines at the same time. If you remember this when you first sort of, and it's frightening, and you and you go to you know grab the glass and you can't remember your line because you have to pour the water and you can't do those two things at the same time, and and everything's a disaster. You, it's all fragmented, compartmentalized. Is what I'm trying to say. When I watch you do your sh- your cooking show, and I've watched countless cooking shows since I was a kid, Julia Child being the first, very first one, of course. Um, y- you do something. You do it s- with such facility; it's extraordinary. You have three people, right? Three or so people se- seated at this counter. You know, if you've seen Mario's show, this is he has this great kitchen set. Three people seated at the counter. And a camera's facing us sort of, at, a, uh, sort of at, an a- at an angle like this. The camera's here, Mario's here, and the people are here. And he interacts with the people, he interacts with the food, he's cooking this food, and he's also 
uh, going on and on about the history of the dish that he's making, the ingredients, where they come from, uh, and he's fielding the questions from the people, and he's sometimes talking to, to the camera. And it happens so effortlessly and with such assuredness <laughs> that it, it's extraordinary. And it's like a per, it's a perfect performance. And you're the only you're the o- you never act cooking, which is what a lot of cooking shows do. A lot of people on cooking shows do they act cooking, and they smile at all, every ingredient. They smile at the camera, and they're not really cook. You could really give a shit. <laughs> If you're smiling or not smiling, you're having a good time cooking, and it's absolutely immediate and spontaneous. It's really, it's fascinating to watch, and for that reason, it's actually great theater. It's more than just a cooking show. It's great theater. It's what you hope to get to as an actor on stage. I'd like to use that moment to bring it back to Stanley, if I could, Gay, because I think that that is, because that's why we're here, and I think that that's one of the extraordinary things that Stanley does as an actor, and it's one of the most confusing things about acting, is that sometimes acting at its very, very best is invisible. It's so good that you're not noticing it, it going on. And that's one of the great contradictions about Stanley, is that he's a great show-off and a great scene-stealer. Scene <laughs> but he is... He, can, he so becomes the character that he makes it seem like he's not acting at all. I mean, I find it annoying on that Actors Studio program when they go on and on and on about awards as though they're the be-all and end-all, um, which they're not, but at all. But I really was staggered that Stanley was nominated for a Best Supporting uh, Oscar um, nomination for The Devil Wears Prada because he just became that character and it was very showy at the same time but he was just so becoming it that it became invisible and that's where I think it, it relates to what well, Mario was saying. Thank you for saying, saying yeah. that. My, wife, my wife's opinion... Thank you. Thanks, guys. I, I didn't leave the house for six months <laughs> when I wasn't... Nom- no, I, no, but uh, my wife said about that performance, she said, well, that was pretty easy for you, wasn't it? <laughs> so that's the difference between... No. When you were talking about the glass and how one has to be conscious of, of almost everything, even if it seems like one is not conscious of it, the thing that has, it seems to me, has to be dealt with is as, as an actor, great actor or not great actor, is memory. And I <clears throat> could never imagine being an actor because I never can, I can, I never believe I could remember the lines. <laughs> now, all you great actors probably have different way of memorizing. I wonder since the audience is not made up of, of aspiring actors or actresses or anybody that aspires to anything beyond sitting and listening to people talk about this business. <laughs> But how, how in the hell do you remember? What's your method of remembering? It has to be integrated. Uh, any, uh, memorizing lines, has, it has to be integrated into, your, into, into you physically. Uh, you, there's no other, there's no other way to do it. Read again and again and again and again. Well, how no, no. How important no. is it to exactly get the line? 
I'll, like that's why it looks so good on my show because there is no line. I well, improvise the whole damn yeah, thing. Yeah, but, 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 but Natasha has to remember Shakespeare, and you don't fool around with Mr. Shakespeare. Well, you don't fool around with Mr. Shakespeare, and it's, it's very. We're, we're all kind of giggling here because the truth is, is that actors for actors, it's mostly the easiest thing you do. It's the yeah. easiest part yeah. of your job. That's yeah. why we're all sniggering. It's it's what yeah. you do with the, the lines once you've learned them. That's the hard bit. Yeah. Um, but, of course, Shakespeare, you have to be absolutely... You have yeah. to remember it. And I, and I know Steve, he rewrites, he actually... I never do Shakespeare how important for that reason. I, <laughs> yeah. um, I think it has to do with... I think a lot has to do with the writing in, in contemporary, in film. It's also. It's, yeah, that's it. It's, just, it's repetition, but it, it has to be integrated into your, into your, into your body and into your... Into your, the emotional Stanley, state. What did you just say to me over in that seat about that great moment in The Imposters when you're outside the sidewalk and oh, you yeah. have that startled look on your face? What did you lean yes, over? And, and I'm say? talking to Ollie in that first scene, just the little bitty scene prior to the to the uh, cup, the whatever the cupcake queen puff thing. Uh, I I say, and then you're going to do this, and then I go, and then and my you jaw. Really forgot your line. Forgot, I forgot, forgot my forgot line. Long, you forgot his line. <laughs> And I wrote it. <laughs> but was so, it improvised that scene at all? No, 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 a little. I mean, a little. We played around a little bit, but it's all there. I mean, you know, you know. I mean, you written, film, said the stuff really that I've matter. written. It doesn't matter if you remember your lines no. because they can stop and back up. The, right. la- the last time I was on a set with you was for the hoax, which was not that long ago. Do you yeah. remember that? Do you remember that moment when I you couldn't forgot remember your line? line? I couldn't remember the guy's I think it name. was the hairpiece that you had this insane oh. hairpiece on. And he, he had a speech where he was really reading the riot act to Richard Gere and you got halfway through it. You remember, do you remember all this? It was very funny. Yeah. We, everyone else yeah. was laughing. And, friendly, I couldn't and, every, remember and he guy. couldn't remember his line and he was yelling and then he would stop and he would say, what is it? <laughs> and 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 this 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 script lady would read the line to you, and you say, "Okay, I'll start again. Back, back keep going." God damn it! What is it? God damn it! God damn it! And and she would read it to you, and then when you and then when you see the scene on film, you're on fire in the scene. It's so great. So, but you've this is what, given away you know, all my secrets. <laughs> The key to great acting is never remembering your lines. And everyone else around him is laughing. Yeah, it doesn't, you know, remembering the lines. No, it doesn't. That's, uh, you know, it's not. It's nothing. It's nothing. We just don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, But are not other actors who are playing with you um, thrown off? When you don't depending on you, when you don't to get say the your line, line? too bad. <laughs> don't bad. I mean, you know, it's every man for himself, Absolutely. really, in this business. Wait, wait, you've been on the Broadway stage yes. as well. Yes. What about on the stage? You can't. You can't. No, 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 no. You remember, but sometimes you forget them, and then you know the other. You look at the other person, and you see, and they see the horror in your eyes. You know, and then you go, and then somebody jumps in and fixes it, and then you go, oh, yeah, here where we are. You know, yeah. it happens all the time, in every play. you too? It's happened occasionally with yeah. me, yes. It there are two, the two yeah. hard, t- most frightening things are you're going to forget your line, or, or you're going to start laughing and you can't stop. <laughs> right? Worst, I mean, that's the, worst, that's the worst. The worst forgetting line story I ever heard was from Ian McKellen, who was playing Prospero in... Um, 
There you go. Yes, there you go. The Tempest. Uh, yes, in The Tempest. And he, had, he decided he was a bit wobbly on his line, so he had this book, this sort of book of magic for Prospero the Sorcerer. And in the book, you know, he had all his lines in the book. And after a while, this, this book began to fall apart. And um, on the night that um, Prince Charles was visiting the RSC or whatever, doing uh, him doing Prospero, he opens his book and stage management have decided to replace the book and they haven't put any of his lines in. <laughs> <laughs> and he had to exit the stage. <laughs> that is a nightmare. But that's the actor's nightmare. It is, yeah. oh my I God. do still... It's funny that you bring this question. It's very interesting. Because this is a question everyone asks, and it is, we, you sort of gave and go, you just remember your lines, you know. But I, there is no doubt that I still, and you, I suppose this relates to the, the first question you asked, because you never do feel secure in this business. And a yeah. testament to that, to me, are the dreams that I still have, at least, I would say, at least every couple of months, which are, there, there are two, two different dreams, and sometimes it's, it's in one dream. And they are the classic actor nightmare, which is you're on stage and you don't have any clothes on. Well, that... Uh, yeah, right, that happened. But, <laughs> but, no, I didn't mean that. But or you're in your under... Like, you're in your own underwear. Or something, and you're just sort of entered and you don't know your lines. And I have this I don't know my lines uh, 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 dream at least once every three months or so. Or you don't know what play you're in. Or you don't know what play you're in. Yes, that's the other thing. Yeah. Yes, that's the other thing. You think you're doing something and everybody else is doing, you know, as you like it, and you're doing, you know, David Mamet, A Life in the Theater, you know, and you think, well, I can fit right in, you know. So, you know. Do you have those? That Didn't never I? happens in the <laughs> kitchen. <laughs> You know right where you are, where right. the fire is. You're right where the fire is, yeah. How about yeah. you? Have you? Do you share some of these sentiments? Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's nerve-wracking, but, uh, and, uh, but it is just, I guess when you're doing a play, uh, it becomes like muscle memory, you know? Um, it's like choreography. I mean, if you do it enough, then it's just in your body, and it's the same thing with the lines, and if you just relax about it, then, you know, the lines will come. It's, it's, I've only found that when I start to obsess if I'm going to forget my lines that I think that I, that I don't know them. But for a film, I just, you know, usually the night before, I'll just, I go through it and sometimes it helps to write out the lines. That helps me remember it. And sometimes when I'm acting in a scene, I literally have to visualize what the on words the look like yeah, on the page yeah. to remember mm-hmm. the line. If I remember, you know, like... That word started up here, and I could see the line, and that's yeah. how I do it. Yeah. It's terrible. Did you ever record a sad craft? Did you ever record a script? <laughs> I mean, do you ever re- put on a tape recorder, and then you, mem- you hear yourself again? No, but again? sometimes I'll ask, you know, my, uh, my son or my wife to run lines with me, and, you know, just simple as that. But, no, I don't, uh, I don't think I've ever recorded myself. The ideal is to try and remember the thought. That's, that's what you're aiming for. Yes. It doesn't always... Yeah. Uh, and it also has to do with writing. You know, it has to do with great writing. I mean, Shakespeare, you know, or Chekhov, if, if properly translated, um, or uh, Tennessee Williams, 
the, you know, stuff, stuff like that is, is actually very easy to memorize because it's so beautifully written. And one of the reasons they're beautifully written is that all the thoughts are, are connected. All the emotions are connected. There's a very clear arc, emotional arc for each character. So it, it, comes, it comes actually very naturally uh, when you really look at them. Bad writing, which is so often what we get when we're sent movie scripts, it, it's, impo- it's impossible to remember because... It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any yeah. sense. There's no... It's all <clears throat> junk. Yeah. It's all... It, yeah, it's junk. all uh, ideas. And I said this re- recently to someone I was working with about a script we were doing. I said, the scenes are not... R- are not written. What what the author what the what the what the screenwriter has done is they they've actually written about the scene, but they haven't actually written the scene. Well, can, once you you, do, can you do a good performance with a bad script? You can try your best, but inevitably you're going to end up changing. You're going to end up changing lines. You have to, because it, 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 you can't find the tr- you can't find the truth in it. You know, it's like using a it's like trying to make a good meal with that bad, that, 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 that piece of meat is going. And I'm not going to, I can't cook it. I have to go out and get a new fresh piece of meat. It's that, it's that simple. So you go, okay, we're going to cut this. And we've all had this experience. I mean, you know, I've had the experience of rewriting entire films while you're acting. It's excruciating. A nightmare. You mentioned nightmares. I would think... This is kind of one right now. <laughs> no. no. But you, you mentioned getting scripts and they're, they're badly written, etc. But there was a time when, I guess, not the people here, you included, were not so successful and didn't have the choice of scripts sent to you through agents or unsolicited, but nevertheless on your doorstep. What about during those periods when you do not get scripts, when you do not have parts? How do you... Uh, without sounding too mordant about it, but how do you deal with periods in your life when you are not an actor? And point B to that question, what can you do about it? What I always did was I, I never stopped learning. And it was the genesis of my you know, writing and, and directing. And Steve had the same experience. We did this kind of simul- simultaneously. Um, uh, we, I think we were frustrated that uh, we weren't working consistently and that it maybe the, the roles were you were starting to be typecast and that maybe there wasn't enough meat to things but also you had stories that you wanted to tell and you need to you know you have to like Steve said that muscle you know you have to keep that creative muscle working constantly constantly you can't ever I never can if I'm working on a movie as an actor I always feel that when I come home from work I still haven't done enough and I need to I have to just look at something that's going to, you know, make me think about what I'm writing or what I'm going to write next or make notes about a movie that I'm going to uh, direct or something or draw, sketch something uh, that will lead me to an idea. I, I never feel like, and this is just my neuroses too, I never feel like it's enough. And I think that particularly when you're not working, you have to involve yourself in every aspect uh, of of, of, of life and of, and of art in order to keep yourself creatively active. I spent, you know, months and months unemployed through, over the years and uh, would always go to the museum, go to movies, uh, always went to... I went really 
to, to look at paintings and sculpture more than I did movies. I found that that gave me uh, some sort of creative uh, energy or something. Inspiration. But can you, can you, when you're in these periods of, of unemployment or don't want what is offered to you because you don't want to repeat yourself or what are the stereotypical traps of being an actor can be, what can you do other than inner motivation to enhance your or to improve your chances of working? You get on the phone and, and, and change agents? Well, what do you yeah, do? you scream. You, you scream. yell. Yeah, you scream, you yell, and then you, you... There's not really much you can do, you know? There's not. And that's the... The only thing you can do is to... Is to uh, as we've all done here to a certain extent, you have to generate your own work. And you have to figure out a way to do that. I know Tasha <coughs> has done this. Steve and I do it. We all do it to a certain extent. I just not me. Feel like you don't do it? No. You don't really want to. I just to. wait at home until the phone rings. <laughs> I think everyone, everyone's different as, a, as an actor. Like, my husband is, is not somebody... He's a wonderful actor, but he, he has absolutely zero interest in writing, directing, producing. Um, I, I sort of feel... I, I can't wait for the phone to ring and complain that I don't have enough work. The phone isn't ringing, and so I'm always trying to read and think about something that I would like to do and then go out of my way to try and make that happen. You're not mm-hmm. always successful at it but you keep trying and the other thing that I do I do think it's slightly easier for, for women often than men when we're not working because you often have a, a man or kids um, to take care of um, and also the other thing that I do when I'm not working um, is what some of us have in common um, on this stage is that I cook a lot this is my other passion in life so I would not dream of cooking when I'm doing a movie or on stage. But that, I cook a lot I when know, I'm not you're working. A, you're a hell of a cook, too. Well, I thank you. So are you. And an that. excellent eater, I well, mean. <laughs> Which doesn't go so well with the acting bit. Well, well let me German. ask you, in, in your minds, do you have what you would consider to be a perfect year? Like, is it three months of theater, one superhero action movie and three months in the Caribbean? I mean, do you have an objective in mind or is it just kind of you take as much as you can and turn it down when you're tired? That's almost it in a way, that last thing. But, uh, however, there was a great thing that the ideal year is what um, uh, oh, Edward G. Robinson, I think, said. He said he'd, he'd like to do, he likes to do three movies a year. One for money, one for art, and one for location. That's perfect. That's perfect. It's perfect. It really is the perfect year. I mean, for me, you know, it really depends. It is nice to do the big Hollywood thing because it's fun and you can relax and you have a nice trailer and they pay you a lot of money or they used to pay you a lot of money, not so much anymore. Uh, and then you go do an independent thing, a couple independent things, and those can be really exciting because you can go in, like with Day Trippers, and we did Day Trippers, and this was a long time ago now, but I think I worked four days or three days or something on the movie. And it was perfect. a great, great, perfect, you know, and I was paid $7, you know. <laughs> but it was a great, great, great experience. I mean, it really was uh, a wonderful experience. Um, and, um, and then you can go in and do another movie. You can work for a week on a picture, have a great part, uh, and not necessarily make any money, but have a great experience and explore a character and meet people that you've never met before. Um, and then maybe do something on stage, you know. It's... I, I feel very alone on stage right now because I, I prefer not to work. 
I, I, so I like to, I, I don't think do resting mean? is overrated. I like to stay home. It's all customers that keep me busy. <laughs> I, my ideal would be to work once a year. <laughs> for a month? For a day and a half. Well, for a couple of days. A couple no, of I, days, you know, yeah. I, For those of us who... A million a day. A right. million a day is right. my ideal. Right. I, you know, I have small children, very small children, mm-hmm. and I like to be at home. And, and I don't like to go to work, and I have to be dragged to go to work every time <laughs> because they're so little and cute. And, and, and uh, I, it's very hard for me to balance it. I'm not, I don't have, you know, I, I've never written or, thank mm-hmm. God, or directed anything. Um, and I hope that day will never come. Um, and, I'm, and I've always been so thankful to people like Stanley who call me up and say, I've written something and I'm going to direct it and would you like to be in it? I count on the kindness of strangers like yourself to bring me through. Well, I'm glad you're there. I, I'm glad. And now I know you're more available. So that's good. <laughs> well, as a warning, they keep getting cuter. Okay. Yes. So it's not easier to go away no, as they become smarter sure. and talk I'm more sure. and it's, eventually it's learn smart. to talk back, so I hear. Right. I know. Yes. Do, do, do you ever have the feeling, Stanley, or anybody have this feeling that you're working too much? I know you're not included in this, but, <laughs> but do you ever feel I've done too many parts this year? Or worse than that, do you ever feel I wish I hadn't done that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Can you name? No. No, I can't name. But yes, of course, there are things where you just, there's some movies you do, I never go, I never see them. I don't want to see them. I don't ever want to see them. No. I've done, I've done things that I wish I haven't, but I, I, I don't think I've ever felt, oh, I'm working too much. But I have felt, and I don't mean to sound, you know, oh, pretentious about this, but I, I do have felt, um, completely burned out by, yeah. by playing a part and needed uh, a real long break after it because it's taken so much out of you. But I don't mean to sound, you know... I'm not Daniel Day-Lewis, but... Uh, <laughs> no, you burn out. You can burn out. But on stage, out. Yeah. probably. Yeah, more exactly. Than so not in, yeah. But when so you easy. just yeah. become like, ah... Oh, well, what's just... the recovery time? Like, what's a long break? Three months or eight months or a year and a half? Two weeks. Two uh, weeks. I, I get a little nervous if I'm. No, um, it, it's an interesting question about. Do it, I mean, yeah, I feel like. I feel like I've played a lot of the same, you know, parts, and that's one of the reasons why I want to write and uh, d- direct more and 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 sort of try and shape more what I do because, I get paranoid that I, you know, I imagine, casting sessions where. If my name com- comes up, uh, you know, I imagine the director going, yeah, who else? Who else is it? You know, <laughs> like, yeah, we've seen him, but who, who else? Who else? I mean, that's the biggest fear that I have. And I think it's a real, you know, I don't think it's pa- paranoia. I think it's happening. I, I... <laughs> <laughs> no, but Steve, also because <laughs> you've been on that other side. Having directed, you've directed yeah. four movies. You know, sitting in those sessions, the name comes up, and then you go, yeah, yeah, who else? Yeah. <laughs> no, and you know, and you know that's being said about you, yeah. too. But I say it about you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but did you not have that, that, that occasion when The Sopranos was on? When you were on a lot, and did you sometimes wish, I, I can't wait, this series is over? Did you feel you were too much in that? No. 
Not enough. Not enough. Not I was. I wanted. How many to be... episodes were you in? I was Four. just in it for one season, and I was supposed to well, be in it for eight two or nine seasons. Eight or nine. Yeah, but I, 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 I didn't. I wasn't supposed to die so fast. <laughs> <laughs> we all got to go. Sign. <laughs> but you also directed those, yeah. and you've directed other television, yeah. and plus your own. You know. I'm not complaining. Yeah, no, I mean, no, I know I mean, you're I'm not complaining. Very, I happy, <laughs> but I do. But I was even, just trying to make you feel better. No, and thank you, Stanley. It's, it's a weird thing. I mean, it's a name dropping somebody, a current co-worker of yours, Meryl Streep. Yes, yes. She says um, the uh, <laughs> audience get bored <laughs> of you. She says the audience get bored of you, and I think I don't think they get bored of Meryl. You know, I just don't. I, I don't know if the well, audience. Well, no, I don't think get they get bored of Merrill either. But there was a period where everyone, where people started to sort of uh, take Merrill to task because they felt She's that she good. was too technical, mm. that she was that there was you know nothing there sort of emotionally, and that she was so facile that it was a, a hindrance or, or upsetting to them in some way. Do you remember this? There was a there was a period yeah. in her career good. where yeah. that you know. And then but you look at saying those, that, but who's saying like critics, critics, right? Critics right? But I don't think audiences are thinking so either. Yeah. No. Thinking no. that you know. No, no I, I, don't. I do think it's like such a virtuoso that people think, oh gosh, this must come easily. Therefore, it yeah. can't cost. Or therefore, it can't be right. so great. Which yes, is ex- exactly. Yeah, I think you're right. But I think there is a fear of overexposure. I think particularly yeah. nowadays. But I think that really has to do with. Uh, the pressure that is put on young, younger actors uh, who may well be very talented, uh, but the pressure that is put on them to have their films succeed mm. right out of the gate. And, you know, you have somebody, a, a young man or a young woman who's in their early 20s, and, and they're really good, and they, they have like three pictures back-to-back that they've made. And if two of those pictures don't happen meaning they don't make a hundred million fucking dollars, then everybody kind of goes, hmm, well, okay, next. And then they move on. And there's not, you know, when Merrill started, it was, it, was, it was very different then. It was very different. And now there's a tremendous amount of pressure on actors in particular, as though it's their fault that the movie didn't work. Yes. That's always my yes. favorite, you know. Yeah. There are a lot of other people involved. I don't, I don't think it's just the young actors, though. I feel like because the, it's become the business aspect of our business, I'm so much more aware of it now than I was when I first started. Yeah. Because there are so many people attached to all of us now and involved, you're just constantly pressured to be out there making money. I mean, this, this, I, I feel like I'm always being pressured to take the next job. The second I'm, when I'm working on something and I'm sent something else and it's just the same, I'm doing this movie right now. Why am I going to do this again in three weeks? You're just always, they just always, I mean, maybe it's, are my people in the audience? But they, you know, they just want you to be, they want you to be raking that dough in all the time. So you think yeah. hope also as, a, as actresses, the pressure, the fashion aspect of the business that has developed, which did not exist when Meryl was starting out in her young heyday. The pressure that you have to look like a cover girl for a magazine, that you always have to turn up, you know, in the latest and newest outfit, this whole crazy, insane world. That wasn't um, a prerequisite of the job before. And and it it kind of is now, which is very... Yeah, I, uh, I think so. Yeah. It's a bit of a nightmare. Happens. I mean, I, you know. <laughs> when, when you work with Merle on what we saw tonight, Devil Wears Prada, did you feel that you also had um, a, a, a sense of maybe pressure to make this film 
even though she was the guiding light in that that film, a commercial success, or did you feel no. this is just an artistic film? No, a- no, no. I knew it was a, it was a, it was a commercial film, but I you could tell it's very this is very rare. I think that movie is very rare because it's a it's a very uh, intelligent and, and artfully done, uh, artfully crafted uh, studio movie, and that. Is really funny, but but doesn't sort of, doesn't really pander to the audience. I think in in any way, it's um, it, it it's it realizes its genre and it and it stays within these very strict confines and never goes too far one way or the other. And for that reason, it's kind of a perfect studio picture. But I I never as a as a as a as an actor I went in knowing, and because the script was very good too. The, the script was excellent. And you was, they sent you the script? They sent me the script after they tried to cast literally every other actor in Christendom. <laughs> so either turned it down or whatever. And I started, I had three days to prepare for the role. I turned and down that you, role. You turned it down. <laughs> I'm telling you. They probably went to that guy, you know. I mean, you know, anybody but him. <laughs> But after you performed... But I showed him, didn't I? <laughs> you know, you true? really three did. Really true? Three, uh, days. Two. three days. That's why, that, but that's why my wife said, well, that was pretty easy for you, wasn't it? <laughs> but Stanley, it was, it was not only... Uh, maybe it was easy for you, but it was such an exciting thing to be in the audience. Of the, it, uh, I was in the audience. You can, yeah, you can, yeah. And, and did, did the Stanley Tucci that we saw, was he... A person that read the script, or did he improvise upon the script? No, no, no. I read the script. I did exactly what was. And so written. the writer wrote all that brilliance that came out of your mouth. Yeah, all it's that a wit. beautifully written script. Is that right? It's so intelligent. Wasn't yes, it improvised? Is. No, I mean maybe I'd throw a line in here or there, but no, no. And and the thing is, you know, the thing about that picture, you never feel. I never felt any pressure to to think or think, thought it was an artistic film or whatever. It was just a good film. Of a certain genre, and a, and a, uh, you know, and it, that had to fit within these confines that were studio confines. So you could only go so far. But the 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 uh, the thing about somebody like Meryl that I think is because I knew Meryl socially through Natasha, and uh, I was very excited to work with her. Though I didn't really work with her that much in the film, oddly enough, it was mostly me and Annie and er- Meryl and Annie. Um, I'm working with her in, now a lot every single day, and the funny thing is. We're, we've become very good friends. We laugh a great deal, and yet I can't. I cannot act with her. I can't do it. I'm still looking at her and thinking, "My God, it's Meryl Streep right there," <laughs> and and I and I'm I look and I'm terrible. And I'm te- and I look at the dailies and I look at my stuff and I go, "My God, you're so bad. You're so bad. She's so good." And I'll be looking at her. I'll be doing the scene with her. I'll be doing the scene. And then I'm just, well, then I just start watching her. And then I like, and talk about forgetting lines. I can, I think, God damn it, that's good. And then, you know, Stanley could, oh, sorry, you know. It's really terrible. So I, what I find myself doing is, is actually, is actually, do you want me to get that? What I find myself doing is actually breaking character as quickly as possible and making jokes and laughing to make myself comfortable. Because I, uh, I don't really want to be there acting with her. I'd much rather just be having a martini afterward. 
you do, I guess. Yes, we do that too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was told by our dear host, David, that he wanted to have this limited to no more than an hour, and we're approaching it. All right. And where is he? There He's he is. fast asleep. In He's the an Esca. <laughs> He's an Esca, well, yeah. Unless you have anything you wish to add, David, I think we've heard what we quite all enough. hope we would hear. No, no, but just wonderful. The audience, I hope, shares my enthusiasm for what we did here tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you Thank you. I, I just, Closing remarks. Thank you. I just want to say... Um, I just want to say, first of all, I'd like to thank my friends for coming here tonight. This is so thoughtful and so humiliating. No. It's so, I'm so happy and I'm so glad that you're all here. And I really greatly, greatly appreciate you being here. And I so appreciate your talent because you are extraordinary, extraordinary people in every way. And I, and I thank you, Gay, so much for moderating this. And I'm looking forward to reading some of your stuff. I've never read it. But I hear you're really great. And well, I, I tell you, I'm, I'm very you know, grateful. I'm, you work for... Well, you can rewrite it. You can rewrite yeah, it. Yeah, I will. I'll look forward to that. <laughs> I'll improvise some of your... Yes, yeah, but, sure. and I'd like to thank David and everybody at the museum for, for having this tonight. And, uh, and I'll audience, look forward to... You. Yes, and thank you for coming. We're leaving. Thank you for listening. The Pinewood Dialogues at Museum of the Moving Image are made possible by generous support from the Pannonia Foundation. To learn more about the museum, visit www.movingimage.us.